Okay, holy smokies. Sometimes I'm so far behind. Nikki Burnett here. This is Taste Life Nutrition Radio, streaming live on KUHSDenver.com. Uh, and today we have on a great guest with some really a, a, an amazing story, an amazing history, and all of the, the, the hardships and the goodness that brings us to where we are today and helps us to build each other up and just bring goodness to the world and to serve others. And that's so much of what we're about on Taste Life Nutrition radio and podcast is, is bringing people who can give us information, who can give us stories, um, who can lift us, help us, and who you might be able to reach out to because they might be able to help you, right? We all need to build our team and find the people who can, who can guide us. I know I need help every day in some way or another. And so... <laughs> Today we have on uh, Dr. Hallie Stocks. She is a physical therapist. I'm going to let her tell all of her story and what she does and who she is. But uh, thank you first. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm sorry, I'm, I am kind of a little bit all over the place this morning, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'm happy to be here, Nikki. It's yeah. been fun to chat with you. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna, it is. It's going to be really good. I've been looking forward to this um, for weeks now I don't know a couple months maybe it's been a while so yeah so mm-hmm. glad you're here um, as always we start the show with gratitude gratitude can change the world um, and I truly believe that so there are so many things for uh, us to be grateful for and just finding one little thing I think can make such a difference for ourselves for our mindset for our hearts for the things that we have to do in life, and then it radiates. It you know goes out to those who are around us. Um, I it is truly energetic. So, <clears throat> Hallie, what are you grateful for? I love this. This is it's fun too because this year I started your tradition that every morning on my walk I think of one thing that I'm grateful for, mm-hmm. and then every night over dinner, my husband and I before we eat we say one thing that we're grateful for from the day, um, and that's just a tradition that we started this year. So this is cool. Um, So I'm always especially grateful for my husband, but in particularly lately, he has shown just extreme passion and dedication for learning how to hunt. And he has been hunting recently and he has got our freezer full of delicious meat. So we've been very, very grateful for just having an amazing amount of, um, you know, locally sourced um, meat in our freezer that we've been really enjoying lately. So that's been awesome. That's so good. I, uh, I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> My husband, he wants that, and I know we talked about this when we when we met over coffee. But um, you know, we've talked about him going out and hunting, and it's not the easiest thing to do when you have to. I mean, it's 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 a. I mean, you've got to be out for days. I mean, if it's elk hunting, right? I mean, you've got to be out mm-hmm. there for days. You've got to be out deep in the mountains. You've really got to. It's 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 a it's time consuming, and so. It, but yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. So yeah. are you going with him? I haven't yet. And so he got, he has, he got two deer, one with a bow and one with a gun. Okay. Um, and I would only be hunting with a bow this year if I go. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the time commitment of sitting in a tree stand in the cold for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit hard to bite off for me. Um, but I am still got plenty of time this season to potentially, and I've been working on my shot daily, yeah. so I feel more comfortable with my bow. So we'll see if I still get out this year. That's right. That's right. I had totally forgotten that you would be doing bow hunting. Um, yeah, I have determined over the course of my life that I'm a cooker. I am not a hunter. 
<laughs> I've enjoyed the cooking part. We've had some venison stew. We've had all kinds. I mean, all of different variations of venison. So it's been great. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a few deer in the freezer. We have had an elk in the freezer, but it's been a little while, so it would be fun. Um, but yeah, I uh, I love people who want to hunt and who do hunt and who do it. The thing that the uh, this total sidebar, but I can't help myself. And, and if, if this is you out there, then it just it is what it is. But those who just go to and you know you let the animals out of the cages and you go hunt them. To me, that's not hunting, and it's a little frustrating. But you know, going out into the mountains and truly hunting is is I mean, it's it's traditional, it's historic, it's what we do, um, and and it's uh, it's great. I think it's really really great as long as I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm happy for anybody to bring it back, cleaned and ready to go, and I'll cook it up and do all the good things. Um, so anyway. Uh, my gratitude for today, you know, it's kind of fun because it goes along with Thanksgiving uh, coming up for those of us who are in the U.S. Um, Thanksgiving is such a great time of year and it really is a time to kind of look back. Um, you know, the years go by so freaking quickly and we get older and they go quicker and quicker and we say it all the time, but it's true. Um, but grateful that this year we get to spend, uh, this is my husband's 50th birthday. So we yeah. have decided, yeah, I know, uh, he's catching up with me, but um, <laughs> we've decided, he decided, because um, it was up to him, you know, what do you want to do for your birthday? And he has a lot of his friends and family, uh, his closest friends in Kansas still. And so we're going to go to Kansas and stay with his best friend and we're going to do um, a, you know, a nice dinner and hang out with all of his buddies from college and, uh, and then some, I think some of his, couple of his siblings and our in-laws are coming. So anyway, it's going to be, it's going to be really nice. So we're going to be there for a week and then we're going to get to spend time, uh, with my brother and sister-in-law for the Thanksgiving day and then we'll come back on Friday. So anyway, it's just good to be able to go. We did, you know, it's sort of this last minute thing and super grateful to to have people who are just you know really good people we, we're surrounded by really amazing people so grateful for them grateful for just getting to go and hang out so and being awesome. able to work from anywhere because I'm still working next week um you know for a couple of days anyway and I can work from anywhere and I love that I really love that so it's good stuff yeah mm -hmm. all right so I think at this point, let's just dig in. Let's dig into you, um, however much of your story you want to share. Um, I think it's a really hard, inspirational story. And, you know, where you are now, I have, I, I have to tell you, if you've not been to her Instagram, I hope it's okay that I say this, she's got the most amazing abs and arms. And, like, you go. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> so I, I think it's amazing. You really have... have taking hold of taking care of yourself and then sharing that with others. And it's really, it, it is an inspiration. So yeah, start where you would like to start and let's just go from there and hear your story. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always taking care of myself. And I, so I, I mean, I had a pretty typical childhood. I grew up with mostly two, my, my two brothers, my parents were together. Um, they did get divorced when I was 18, but I don't know, fairly typical childhood, but for whatever reason, I, over the years, became, or felt less and less worthy of being who I was, less and less, less, and less worthy of taking up space, of feeling, uh, feeling loved, of being lovable, 
Um, and at the age of 17, I was clinically diagnosed with anorexia. Um, I lost like a third of my body weight or pretty close to that. Um, I was skin and bones and I wasn't big to start off with. I was an all-star varsity athlete, um, strong, fit, uh, like I said, varsity, so successful. I was a straight A student. Um, kind of looked from the outside looking in, maybe looked like I had everything together, but on the inside I was, um, I had journal pages page after page just of how depressed I was, how lonely I was, how lost I was, confused, um, and really just how unworthy I felt. And so, I mean, I, yeah, I know I, I strove for perfection in all things. And at, at the time, I remember a classmate of mine, her mother was overweight and she was going to go on the Atkins diet. Um, that was kind of all the rage at the time, and so I decided that if the Atkins diet was the good thing, then I would do it perfectly. Um, and so I removed carbs, and then I kind of just started picking all the diets and tried to be perfect at all of them. And progressively, I was just eliminating more and more food groups and more and more food from what I could consume, um, while still being a varsity athlete and training, you know, twice or three times a day. And um, so I basically just lost more and more and more and more weight until I couldn't perform, I couldn't do anything. Um, and my parents, this part was a little bit fuzzy. My memory's a little, I don't know, blurred, um, I think because my brain was so emaciated, but my parents admitted me to a hospital. I was air flighted to the Bay Area. I was living up in Northern California at the time. Um, and I found myself in the first rehab um, inpatient setting in a children's hospital for eating, or eating disorders. Uh, I was on bed rest strictly for I think close to two weeks. Oh they wouldn't let me out of bed. I drank nothing but Ensure, which oh. we can talk about later, but is probably not the healthiest choice of food groups. We, we have um, talked about that on the show, but for those who haven't seen it, we will definitely talk about it because that is, holy smokes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like considered like a health food in hospitals somehow. And it's, it's disgusting. I mean, it's disgusting. Processed it's junk. A, it's but a killer. Anyway, so I was refed on Ensure. And then a couple of weeks later, I went home on like a food plan that I was supposed to follow. And I, I gained, I don't know, I don't know how much weight I gained, but enough that they felt like I was stable. Because at the time, they were, my heart was the scare. Um, your heart is a muscle. Your body starts to eat itself when it doesn't have fuel. So it ate away all of my, you know, extremity muscles, and then it started to eat away at my heart. So it became very weak. Um, and that was the concern with putting me in the hospital, really, was making sure that I didn't just crank out and die. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I went home with sort of a program in place. I was supposed to feel uh, follow a meal plan. I was supposed to see a therapist and a doctor, I think weekly. And I did all those things. I was, you know, still in the, the house of my parents and their rules. So I more or less followed what I was supposed to do, of course, still trying to be perfect. Yeah. And, and this, I, I tried to be perfect at rehab too, and at recovery, and I found myself failing. And because I was failing at recovery, I'd get mad at myself and beat myself up. Yeah. And therefore I would kind of fall further into the disorder. Well, so um, yeah, and, and, and sorry to interrupt, but I can't help but to, but to think about this, that you are, you, your mindset was to do all of these diets, right, perfectly, and then you go to rehab and they put you on another diet basically, or movement, mm -hmm. right? And so, does that really make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because, uh, like, eating disorders, like, the one addictive behavior where the the thing that you're addicted to or the behavior still has to be part of life. Like, yeah. if you're an alcoholic, you have to stop drinking in order to not be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But if you have an eating disorder, food still has to be a part of your life. Yeah. You just have to learn a different relationship. Mm -hmm. So I get that they had to pres prescribe me something. They had to refeed me. I did have to gain weight. Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely didn't learn 
the skills that I needed in order to get through the mindset that was really behind why I was starving myself in the first place. Because mm. um, if it was just about eating a certain amount of food, like it wouldn't have been as hard. Yeah. I mean, physically, it sometimes was hard because I was eating a very large amount of food at, at some point. But it was it was about so much more than that. It was about all the emotion underlying it. Um, it was about feeling like I was worthy of eating. It was about feeling that I was worthy of living and taking up space. Um, there, there were many times in my journals as a young, you know, 17, 18 year old girl that I just didn't feel that way. Mm. And, and I, I talked about wanting to waste away and just die because it, it felt easier than feeling whatever pain I was dealing with in my life. Um, and I think, you know, 17, 18 to 22, which is basically when I had my eating disorder, are pretty formative years of your life. Yeah. You're learning a lot about who you are, mm-hmm. um, becoming who you are. And I was, I was in a very dark place during those years. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so scary. Um, so I guess, yeah, go ahead. After my first rehab, um, I went back to school. It was my senior year of high school. I graduated. I moved away for college. And then I spent the next four years of my life, basically my college years, kind of downward spiraling slowly. Hmm. So I knew I was not doing the things I wanted to be doing. And I knew I wanted to be better. And I tried so hard, but the disease was stronger than I was. So it seemed like the harder I tried, the further I slipped down. And I might make a little bit of a progress, but then I would dip off and then a little progress and dip further. Yeah. And so basically over the course of the four years that I was in college, I just slowly found myself slipping deeper and mm-hmm. deeper and deeper into this into the disorder. And then by the time I graduated um, at the age of 22, I guess, I admitted myself to a rehab hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this time I kind of hit rock bottom and I was, I, I, know, I wanted to change so badly and I knew that I needed support. And so this time it actually made a difference. And I spent, I think a couple of months in rehab this time. It was quite a, quite a bit of time. And then I had a, like a more structured step down um, procedure following the inpatient rehab that I was in. Uh, and then by the time I got out, I think my mind was in a stable enough mm-hmm. place to continue. So, but I think still the next 10 years of my life was a lot of like personal mm-hmm. progress. Yeah. getting to the place where I am today. Yeah, 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 I would imagine. That's a, it's, it's, it's a consistent practice, right? Just like so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if, you know, you, you, the first time you went, you did not go on your own terms, is that correct? Correct. So I'm assuming that that would make, for you anyway, a pretty big difference that the second time you went, unfortunately you went again, but you made the choice and you knew that you needed the help and your brain was more fully developed because you're a young adult mm-hmm. <laughs> you know all of these things that mm-hmm. go along with with growing up you knew that you needed help and that you knew that you that's you know it's why i always talk about building your team right no matter what it is we got to have help from outside we can't do everything by ourselves yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah um I think that also the second time that I went back, well, I guess, so the first time I went in, the interesting thing is that I, I did feel loved for the first time in a long time. Um, so my in, classmates were really supportive, okay. like everyone was really supportive, but it also seemed very temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was easy for me because I had no sense of self-love either, that once that external feedback was no longer as prevalent as it was when I was hospitalized, it was easy for me to just fall back into, well, that was all fake love and I'm truly unlovable and this shows it. Mm, so interesting. So you got out the second time and so yes, it took you, 
took you that 10 year period, but, it, but through that time though, is, was this when you were going, was this undergrad? Or is well, the, the, the four years of undergrad, I was very sick. Okay, okay. So basically the last 15 years of my life after I got out of my second rehab, has just been personal growth. I wouldn't say I had an active eating disorder any of those 15 years. Like after my second recovery, I, I would not consider myself clinically diagnosed or clinically anorexic. Right. But I would say I still dealt with some of the mindset, some of the behaviors that I had to continually think about and overcome. Yeah. Um, and definitely some of the stuff around self-acceptance, self-confidence, um, a lot of distaste for my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned my abs earlier. Um, I mean, I up until recently still hated my stomach. Wow. Um, I, I thought it was so imperfect in so many ways. And I, I uh, about five or six years ago, I got an infection, a strep infection, and it led to a gut tape psoriasis flare, so a skin condition. It was a horrible rash that just like overtook my body. And I couldn't help but notice that the worst of it was all over my stomach. And it seemed like it was like this message to me that like, I hated this area of my body so much that I was drawing this even like uglier form to it. Um, and it was really hard to love my body through that rash and through that whole condition. And to uh, get into the point where I am today where it's like my body is what it is and I am gonna love it for what it is. Um, and it's not gonna be the model body or the perfect this or the perfect that, but it is me and it's who I am and I'm okay with that. Right, right. Um, but it's taken a long time to get to that place. It's not easy, especially, you know, I think we live in this, you know, perfectionist society, especially when it comes to our bodies. And it, it is it is coming to that place, um, speaking from, you know, my own stuff, right? We all have our own stuff. But, and, you know, knowing that we're created so beautifully and perfectly um, and, and, sometimes we don't see that but there you know there is we are created perfectly and we have and and that's just it's you know and and love that right and so that's where I've had to come to is I have my own stuff I'm like that's not perfect and that's not right um but it gets me where I want to go and it, it it carries me and I take care of it and I love on it and I do all the things well, I do a lot of things, not all the things that I should do. <laughs> I on it. I still do some things I probably shouldn't do. Um, wine, sometimes wine. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, it is this amazing. This is the way we get through life, and this is the this is this is what we've been given to. to again, you know, I say this a lot, but it's so true to 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 help others to grow and to love and to give. You know, we're here to to. You know, when we find our space, find our place, then it's our turn to, you know, to lift others up. So um, it's a yeah. place we need to be lifted up. Yeah. And there's a, there's a couple of things about that, too, that I wanted to, to jump into a little bit, which yeah. is like uh, this idea that self-love is holding yourself to the highest standard. And I love that idea because it's like self-love is not eating cookies all day because they make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Self-love truly is is holding yourself to that high standard. So it's making sure that you're eating nutritious food that makes you actually feel good. And it's not just wanting some emotion. Um, it's it's exercising, it's doing, it's lifting heavy things so that you can build a strong and confident body so that you can be a healthy older person and continue to play with your grandkids and travel and do fun things later in your life. It's you know, prioritizing sleep. It's, it's having that glass of wine occasionally because you can enjoy it out with your girlfriends and social life is an important part of health. Right. Like those are all things that I think self-love truly is. And I think sometimes we get this 
like mixed message almost from media that self-love is is that yes eating the cookies and going on a spa day and that spa day can be nice but i think that it's kind of like the easy way out versus like true self-love is, is having true self-respect for yourself yes. um, and doing those those things that might be hard things but are the things that prove that you care about yourself that you're taking care of yourself that you're doing the hard things sometimes because it's yeah i mean that is true love for yourself yeah yeah well and it, it goes to the, the the physical the mental and the emotional hard things right and so mm-hmm. the hard things you lift heavy like you said because it's going to be hard because the hard stuff is what builds the muscle and gets you going and allows for you to live that 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 you know full m- movement a life full of movement right and then the hard things that we go through in life because they're hard but that's how we grow and that's how we we mm-hmm. learn to to be the the person that we're supposed to be so it's all important and it's all hard you know and how do we know the good when we don't have the hard how do we know the easy when we don't have the hard and you know we all got to we've all got to go through it but um, you know, one of the things that, just because it's a little bit timely, you're talking about the, you know, the eating the cookies and, you know, you know, I, I talk to people who are going on vacation and we have Thanksgiving coming up and then we have Christmas coming up and there is so often, and I've been there, this is not a, you know, a, you know, a hit on anybody, but we have this attitude so often that it's a holiday or it's a vacation and I, I can cheat, which I kind of hate that. It's not cheating. If you want to eat a cookie, eat a freaking cookie, but stop at one. Or maybe mm-hmm. if you want five, stop at two, right? So it's, it's, and I hate that everything in moderation, that makes me crazy, but it is, it's, it's not denying yourself, but it's also then, as you said, when you stop, it's that respect. And I also want to say, and I, you know, I, you know, I think of these things sort of as I'm talking through them, you know, so many of us will continue to blame ourselves for maybe it's the inability to stop or not understanding why you have the cravings or not understanding what's going on. And so there, then there's that constant blame on ourselves when I think it's really important to understand when we have cravings, when we don't, when we have this feeling like we can't stop, because I hear this all the time, I just can't stop. Understand that so often it's not the mind that's in control, it's the hormones. You've got mm-hmm. hunger hormones that are, that are not functioning properly, you've got satiety hormones that are not functioning properly, they affect all the other hormones. And so this is a, it's a symptom. This is a sign. You know, if, if, if you have these, these uncontrollable cravings, if you have the feeling that you can't stop, if you have this, you, you, if you say pasta, I have to have pasta, I can't stop pasta, that's a symptom, right? It's a sign. If you can't stop sugar, mm-hmm. you know. So all of these things are things to pay attention to. And we've come to this place in our, in our world where we don't pay attention to, to the language of our bodies anymore. And our bodies are constantly trying to give us information, give us knowledge, tell us what it's trying to tell us because, you know, it, it needs help essentially, right? You know, it's got, we have to be a part of this journey <laughs> with our body and it's always trying to talk to us. And so if we are covering it up with drugs, if we're covering it up with alcohol, if we're covering it up even with supplements can be a cover, right? We mm-hmm. have to take a step back and learn what it is that our body's trying to tell us. And if we don't know, find somebody who can help you, right? 
Right. Yeah. yeah, well, I think so many people are so disassociated from their yes. bodies. They don't even mm-hmm. have any connection. They don't realize that there's a connection between their mind and their gut. Um, and yeah, you said like the biologically your fat cells might be hungry and that's why you feel hungry. Mm-hmm. But it's not because you actually need more food. It's because your body just doesn't know how to fuel partition properly. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things that could be underlying that your cravings and why you feel hungry all the time. But overcoming them still might take some form of discipline. Um, You might have to use some mind control, some discipline in order to make the steps that are necessary to get your hormones back where they need to be. But again, I see self-discipline as a form of self-respect because, again, you're treating yourself or holding yourself to that higher standard. I totally agree. And it's something that's important to to also take to heart and that I talk about a lot is it is accountability. You know, I Mm -hmm. am accountable for what I put on my body, what I put in my body, the thoughts that are in my head, my my environment. Now, I also get that sometimes the thoughts that are in in our head are a little uncontrollable, but that's a symptom also, right? And Mm -hmm. so we want to, um, yeah, we want to take accountability, but then also take accountability if we need help. But it's it's up to me. Mm It's up to me what I do. It's up to me to find help. It's up to me to do the research. It's up to me to do all of the things so I can live this amazing life that we have. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. up to the government. It's not not up to these, you know, whoever it is. It's up to me. And I make the choices. And in my mind, that's one of the most beautiful things about this life that we live because it is up to me. (laughs) We're in a place where it's my choice. Damn it. <laughs> and so, you know, we're not always going to make the right choices, but we have the ability to make a lot of right choices and then find help when, when we need to find help. So, totally. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. And, and you said that sometimes your thoughts can be out of control, but I think that it's important to realize that they are still your thoughts. They are coming yeah. from your brain. So you actually do have control over them, even when they feel out of control. We just need to figure out how to step in and take control. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're letting something else that you don't think is you take control of your thoughts, like we need to figure out how to put you back in control of your thoughts. Right, right. Totally, totally agree. I had I was gonna say something to what you said and it, it escaped me and it doesn't matter. But um it, it it's it's true. So you so you are now doctor of physical therapy, yeah. Um, and so talk about your journey through physical therapy because you're, you're now, you do, you do more, which we can tell that you do more. You're not just doing physical therapy. Let's talk about your journey through physical therapy um, and the last few years and what brought you to what you're doing now. Yeah, um, so I've been a therapist for almost 10 years now, which is crazy. I can't believe how much time flies. Um, and I was really happy with it initially, I, I, and I still like parts of it. I still, you know, I got into it to help people. Um, plus, I love the body, I love exercise, I love movement, all of those things. Um, I love the manual therapy skill set that I have as a physical therapist. But I, something was just missing from, from my ability to truly help people. Because so many people that I was treating, wh- when you're treating someone's pain, they unleash on you. <laughs> so it's like they will tell you everything about every aspect of their life. And so many people were just dealing with so much more than what they'd come to me for. So it was more than just elbow pain or neck pain. Um, you know, they had relationship issues. They were stressed at work, weren't sleeping. They were overweight and they had they didn't know why and they couldn't lose weight and they're inconsistent with the gym and how all these things going on. And I just really wanted to be able to help with more of that. Um, so I went and got a nutrition certification first. I thought I'd start with nutrition. 
And I did a little bit with just that, but it was still just not enough to just have food. And I knew that. I've been through my own journey with food, and I knew it was more more than just food. Um, so I went and got another certificate as an integrative health coach. And that's kind of what I've been focused on more is really just bringing this integrated element to health. So it's we definitely deal with food. Um, it's a very tangible element of people's health that is usually not per, not where it needs to be for them to feel good. Um, so the food is almost the easy part, though. It's once we get that food in a better place that we get to start peeling back the other layers. Um, and I, exercise is a huge piece, too. And I love helping people to build strong bodies. I think that it's it's just a beautiful thing to be strong. And it helps yeah. you to move through your life in just a, a way more freeing and more energized way. Um, but then we also just end up dealing with people's emotional issues and dealing with the stress and um, helping people with their relationships, helping people with their confidence, their ability to implement self-discipline as self-respect, um, helping them to find better self-acceptance uh, and confidence in themselves. And just so many of those other layers and elements that um, people know are an issue, but they just want to, often they just come to me for the food part, thinking that's the only important mm -hmm. part. And then there's just so much more. And it's, it's so rewarding to get to help people put together their life in such a more holistic way than I was able as just a physical therapist. Yeah, it's this interesting, my own journey uh, as a nutritionist has been, you know, I'm super nerd when it comes to, you know, biochemistry, you know, I love labs. <laughs> I love, I love looking at, you know, and, and taking it and understanding how the body is trying to tell us what it's trying to tell us because labs just give us so much beautiful information. But I find, that I have clients who do all do a lot of the things well, but sometimes struggle, and they're having these really intense physical um, physical manifestations. So I have to say this because it's really funny. Hey, Butch, Butch says your work work ethic is incredible. <laughs> Thanks, Butch. <laughs> it's so funny. Appreciate that. Anybody who wants to ask a question or a comment, ask us questions and comment. We're here on Instagram and on Facebook. So, and hey, Amber, good to see you. Um, point to that is what I have found is if I am working with a client who is not moving forward the way that I think they should be moving forward, it is often because of their history. It's often because of their, their mental and emotional state. Um, it's because they have, it could be trauma in their own history. It could have been, you know, generational trauma that has stuck with them. Um, and that's, it's, that is, it's a hard one. It's hard when there is, there's so much to the physical, you know, people come to me for the physical. Um, and we, we can't not look at relationships. We can't not look at trauma. We can't not look at, um, you know, how, how your mind, you know, if you're, if it's this, the constant, you know, negative self-talk that will impact and mm -hmm. create an inflammatory response and impact the body and create dis-ease over time. That's just the way that it goes. Um, and, and so it's, it's, what I know what I was going to say a few minutes ago was it's a constant practice to, to learn how to not say negative things about yourself. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, I don't know if everybody's this way. I have my own experience and I have my mom's experience. My mom, my entire life was very negative about herself. She's an amazing person. 
um, so good, but just always felt so, it just always felt like she just felt so insecure and not enough. And she was so good. She was so good. Um, and so I constantly had to remind her that she had needed to stop the negative self-talk, which helped to remind me to stop the negative self-talk. <laughs> so yeah. getting out of that, you know, and I do this, you know, still I'll say things, but I know now how to stop it and to stop that mm -hmm. cycle and to move on and move into the positive. It's, it, and it is still a daily practice, but point to all of that, it's sort of a, it was a very long drawn out way of, of the mental and emotional are play such a key role in our physical health. And we have to, as practitioners, understand that, address it to the best of our ability, and again, build your team because I know that I can't do everything. Um, and there are people who are going to be better, you know, to serve people who have some significant, you know, mental and emotional traumatic issues from their history. So anyway, that's what I have to say about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and well, it's interesting. You said, you know, the negative self-talk, again, comes back to our own ability to control our own thoughts. Like, those thoughts are coming from our own heads. And it doesn't mean that you might never have another negative self-talk thought mm -hmm. ever again. Um, yeah. we, you might not be able to control that thought coming into your head, but you can control what you do with it. Yeah. You can control whether or not you believe it, you take it to heart, and you continue to stew on it, or if you change that thought. Say, okay, I, you know, I recognize this thought. Maybe it's actually telling me something about myself that I need to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, but not taking it to the, to the heart or taking it to the fact that I am a bad person, I am not lovable, I'm not worthy, all of those other things, not letting it spiral into that. Right. Like, this is a thought that came from my brain. I can take it and I can choose what I do with it. Yeah. Agreed. And then another thing, another thing you said, too, was, you know, I, I think about, like, identity a lot. And a lot of people start to have these thoughts because they identify a certain way. So, like, when I was super sick and I identified as being sick and anorexic, um, it was very easy for me to identify my, my, my habits and my behaviors around that. So I, I'm, I'm anorexic, I'm a sick person, so what do I do to deal with my stress or my anxiety? Well, I starve myself or overexercise. Mm -hmm. That's who I was. It became part of my identity. And giving up that almost was scary because I had to become something else. Even though it was a healthier version of myself, I was still giving up what was comfortable and what was familiar. And I see that a lot with, you know, a lot of the people I coach are dealing more with overconsumption of food versus under, sure. but it still stems from a very similar place. Mm -hmm. They're still using food as a coping mechanism in an unhealthy way. And so a lot of times they identify as like, well, well if I'm stressed or anxious, I eat a cookie. That's what I do because I know that it solves my problem. And that's true. In the moment, it might solve the problem, but is it solving your bigger problem and your bigger goals for the future? Mm -hmm. Well, probably not. It's actually probably working against you. So it's having to kind of like disassociate from that identity of I am a person that eats cookies when I'm stressed to maybe I'm a person who listens to music when I'm stressed or that goes for a run or goes to the gym or find some other coping strategy that's healthy and identify with that habit versus this other habit that's not serving you in the way that you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that tends to be a little bit of a detrimental thing that we do. And maybe it's, it's a little bit of a protective mechanism. I'm not really sure. But to, to, to you know, instead of, I have this thing it is I am this thing which may mm -hmm. not be the thing that we want to be you know call it cancer call it you know whatever you want to call it um, yeah and I think it, it can that can just continue to, to beat you down essentially instead of instead mm -hmm. of you know lifting you up and that's what we want to find is what is it that's going to lift you up to help you to move beyond 
that identity into your what your identity is supposed to be, right? It's that yeah. healthy person who lives well and does things to the best of your ability. There is no perfection, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's Brene Brown who studies shame, if you know her at all. She yeah. says the difference between yeah. guilt and shame is, like if you spill a cup of coffee, the difference between between I am bad versus I did a bad thing. Yeah. And like, yeah. I spill a cup of coffee, guilt would be I spilled the coffee, I did a bad thing, but shame is I spilled the coffee, therefore I, I am I am mm-hmm. a bad person. Right. And I think when I was really sick, I definitely went to everything with shame. Like everything I did, good or bad was somehow bad and I was a bad person because of that mm-hmm. and so learning to disassociate from that like I am not a bad person because I didn't get an A on the test or didn't this person doesn't like me or whatever um that's not that doesn't equate to who I am my value as a person that's yeah. not make me a bad person yeah. yeah yeah yes agreed and so I feel like forgive me um because you were in PT school you knew something or not PT school you were practicing physical therapy, but you knew something was missing. Did we get to the part where you're a health coach now? And both? Yeah. <laughs> okay. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> and so you're you you were just seeing that there needed to be more. And so oh, because you went to the nutrition, sorry. I'm backing up. We got a little off in my mind. Um it happens <laughs> it happens to me a lot. Um but <laughs> so how when how oh geez. How long now have you been a health coach? I've been coaching, I think, a little over two years now. Okay. Um, okay. Good. And all of my first clients were PT patients of mine that I was yeah. already working with, and yeah. that I was like, you know, let's let's do this health thing. I think there's more going on, and they were excited about it too, and it went really well. So I would we imagine kind of built from there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You. I think I love the fact that 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 you, because this is this is what I want to do. I mean, if I could just go to school forever, I just would. I <laughs> yeah. How many certifications do we? Have? I don't really care about the certifications. I just want to just keep going to school. But mm-hmm. um, you know, what more can we do? But it's it's very well rounded. You know, it's in what you're doing, and I think that that's so important in working with people. Um, you know, having them as your physical therapy patients or clients, and then having the ability to work with them in other areas. So often, what we see in conventional medical community is it's a this is you know it's I say this a lot but it's the blinders right this is what I do this is all that I do and this is all that I know and I don't worry about downstream effects down here because it doesn't matter to me Um, and I don't know what's going on up here because it doesn't matter to me this is what I do and this it's not how we operate it's not how our body operates our bodies you know our, our heart is not in a vacuum our heart is connected to our toes right everything's connected um, including our, our, our thoughts and our mindset is connected to our gut. I mean, we can go on and on. You know, you, we are connected to each other in, in some form or fashion energetically, and I think that that's an important one to remember too. But there, there's, there's this beautiful place where, where conventional medicine can be such a, a perfect answer for this, you know, this acute need. Um, but there is also a disconnect because there's the thought that our bodies are disconnected. You know, I only treat this and that's all that I treat. And so in your experience, you know, I, I'm assuming you, you, you felt this way a lot. And like you said, it just wasn't enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, another a big catalyst for, for coaching was I, I worked in a clinic as a physical therapist, outpatient clinic, but I also worked in home care. And what I saw repeatedly in home care was, you know, it's, it's, it's an older population, but sometimes we're talking about like over the age of 40, so not super old, but anywhere between the ages of 40 and 90. And so many of these people, um, they they would co they go to the doctor and they come home with five chronic diagnose chronic disease diagnoses that they hadn't had previously, mm-hmm. and it was almost like they caught the flu. Um, they thought that they had just like caught chronic or caught congestive heart failure, <laughs> mm-hmm. and or they just caught diabetes, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this huge misconception. I feel like people don't realize that these conditions are building for years and years and years because of the habits that they've been doing for their whole life. Um, and it's not it's not paid attention to by our doctors. Like if your blood sugar is elevated, you might get told that you don't have diabetes yet, so we'll deal with it when you do, and that's it. And I I lost my father a few years ago, and he was a type 2 diabetic, and it wasn't the thing that killed him. He had um, amyloidosis from Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam, but I don't think having diabetes made it any better for him. And I think it killed him faster. And I think it was mismanaged. I think, you know, I when we're telling, when we're giving our diabetes patients medications that lower their blood sugar and then telling them to eat enough sugar so that their blood sugar doesn't go too low, I kind of feel like we're fighting against ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that diabetes in particular is a disease that's mismanaged pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, but all chronic disease, we're not treating it we're not preventing it we're just trying to sort of put a band-aid on the symptoms and help people exist Mm -hmm. but we're not helping them thrive by any stretch of the imagination no so yeah so go ahead sorry didn't mean to interrupt you no that's it so it's such it's it's interesting because in my mind you know what my goal always is to Mm -hmm. is to do my best to understand the root cause and i don't know this but you know if i were to to think about your dad's situation, um, you know he was he was exposed to the Agent Orange. Obviously, super toxic. It's, it's a cellular cellular thing. It's going to put stress on the body. Stress is going to increase glucose levels, right? And so maybe he I don't know. Maybe he probably already had a you know not a great diet as well. So that certainly can push it. But but you know taking it back as far as we can take it back to the root cause. And addressing those root causes is well. It's, it's what we do as you know practitioners. As, you know whether you call them holistic practitioners or functional practitioners or whatever you want to call it. It's not about covering up. It's not about saying, "Well, you 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 have this, so let's just deal with it." It's about let's let's address the dysfunction and and understand that we have a full life that has put us in this position we are now, good, bad, or indifferent, that's the way that it is. Um, you know, the diseases that we suffer with today, 95% of them are, are lifestyle diseases. Now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we can't help, there are things that we can't help, like Agent Orange. Unfortunately, that's a really sad part of, of life and of your dad's story. Um, but so many of the things, you know, in the world we live in today, so much of what we're dealing with are our choices, which again goes back to accountability, goes back to making those those decisions because they may not show up. The body is so beautifully amazing and and resilient and 
can can take so much. But if we do things that are not beneficial to the body, it can take it for a while. So when's it going to show up? I don't know. Six months, a year, ten years, fifty years. You know, it's it it we don't we don't connect what I did in my twenties, which we won't mm-hmm. talk about, um, <laughs> to what happens to me in my. 50s, 60s, 80s, whatever it is, and it's all connected. And so right. taking that and, 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 and understanding that, and we can't go back. So I don't want anybody to feel bad for what they did because I, I don't feel bad. I can't go back, but I can certainly make decisions today moving forward. And I can't help but to say this. Sorry, I'm a little bit on the, on the soapbox, but it's part of <laughs> this is part of it as well because this is, this is the fascinating piece to me. And what I hope, I will never stop saying this, and I hope that people start to really, really hear it. But the decisions I make as a woman or or a man who who is thinking of growing your family, you're not there yet, but you're thinking of growing your family, you are making a decision that will affect hundreds of years down the road. You're affecting your great, 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 great grandchildren, however many. I think I figured it out the other day. If it was seven generations, like 560 years, I think, of, of people we're impacting. I mean, it's so huge that I, my hope is that I say that and people are like, holy smokes. I'm making a huge impact because I think we believe as individuals we can't make much of an impact, but we can. And we do, and we will. And so, making those decisions for your future, for your you know generations ahead, is it's so important. You know, we have the ability to get out of this shit show that we're in right now, where we have so many sick people, just by making, just by me, just by you, just by all of us making the decisions now, and not all right decisions, but just making the decisions now. I'll stop there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you said you made the point about making decisions for your future self and for the generations ahead of you too. But even just thinking about your future self, like, yeah. oh yeah, it, it, eating one cookie is not going to make or break you. But eating a cookie every day or five cookies every day, like, how does that mm-hmm. how does that pay out your future self? Yeah. Versus, yeah, going to the gym one time is not going to do anything great for your future self. But if you go to the gym every day, what does your future self look like? And just stacking those behaviors that are going to create the future self that you want, you know, that, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a delayed gratitude, right? Like, or delayed uh, gratification, sorry. Um, so again, eating the cookie example is like instant gratification. You feel good in the moment, but 10 years from now, that cookie didn't help you. But the workouts that you stack now might feel a little bit hard in the moment, but they're stacking, you know, being a strong confident person later on in life yeah so like paying paying for your future self yeah yeah well and it, it's it's it, oh, so true and, and amazing and you know it takes me sort of along the same lines is you know what I love so much you know goes along what I was just saying though is you know the epigenetic impact and it's it's mm-hmm. that you know we have this thought process that you know my health is you know it's genetic it's like truly genetic it's um bad luck or it's age when it is our it's our choices which is what epigenetics is epigenetics is based on Mm -hmm. our choices 
And I'm going to say this too, because Trip, if you're still watching, um, I'm partnering with a couple of guys uh, from Ascend Performance who um, are really into doing um, genetic testing. I have been doing some genetic testing, but plan to do more. But we are partnering to really push and help people to understand their own bodies so they can make a difference so we can understand what it is that our body truly needs to optimize, what it is that we need to optimize for the health of our families, for, uh, for fertility, for athleticism. You know, if you are prone to, um, prone to uh, 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 like Achilles tears, right, we can see that. And we can, you know, for, for parents out there who have kids, this is the coolest thing because if you see this, you can you can start to, to, to make take measures to prevent it. Um, it's really beautiful to be able to to. It's almost like you you're able to see in the, into the future just a little bit, um, and I love that about this. So um, good to see you, Trip, and we will. Yeah, so many so many amazing things that that we have the capability of doing in this time that we're in, and we're just at the forefront of these things. You know, when it comes to individualized care, individualized medicine, individualized nutrition, um, which is the way it should be. You know, going back to conventional medicine has been so generalized, you know, whether it's uh, uh, pharmacological treatments, whether it's supplements, you know, it's, it's all very general and it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I've been trained to work with the individual as they are, but it's, you know, we're able to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and it's just fascinating what we have the ability mm -hmm. to do. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and I mean, now we're starting to break into the, the ability to use psychedelic medicine to really tap into the brain in another way, which is just amazing. Yeah. If you look at the research that's been yes. done on it, um, and I've even done some of it with a practitioner myself, and it was, I mean, it was life-changing in such a, an amazing way because it just taps into your brain, especially people that have dealt with mental disorder or mental issues that have serious trauma like locked away in their brain. It's just an amazing way to get down to that and really let things out. It is. I have a, a close friend who does, um, she's done some uh, um, ketamine therapy, um, mm -hmm. a little bit of the psilocybin therapy and that kind of thing. Um, and and I, I think it's important to note that it's not about just going out and doing a bunch of drugs, so please don't. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is a situation where you want to be uh, careful with and you know, have your practitioner with you through the process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have heard that there is, sorry, off topic a bit, but there are, there are companies now who are, they're doing this, but they're just sending it through the mail and they have nobody who's mm -hmm. going through the process with you. And I just think that that's so unethical, but it's, it's scary. You don't want to go through, if you're dealing with trauma or, or whatever it is that's sitting so far deep in there and you go and you're, and you go through this process alone, I think it's just unfair. It's not right. It's mm -hmm. scary. It's not good. So, um, yeah, I've, I've heard such amazing things about these therapies and how they can help move you into just such a better place. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it can it can reverse the trauma just as quickly as the trauma was set in. Sometimes. That's amazing. So it's it's amazing. Is it okay? Is it okay if I ask you what you did? You don't yeah, have to say. Sure. Okay. So what yeah, I did. I did ketamine. You did. Um, there's actually a, a clinic. There's a clinic in Boulder where that that mm -hmm. does it, um, and yep. it's legal in most states mm -hmm. now. So oh, yeah. you can you can some insurance companies will even pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was all clinically supervised. It was all you know injected with by a nurse, um, mm -hmm. and 
you know, pre, pre-sessions, follow-up sessions, like it's all integrated. It's, yep. um, it's an amazing therapeutic really that we, that we now have access to. So yep. it's just, I mean, it's a gift. It is a gift. It is. And the, the, the interesting thing too is, you know, I think that we want to promote and, and push the, the, the natural medicines as much as possible, but this is where, you know, research and conventional medicine really has, 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 has played a, a significant role because ketamine is not a natural natural substance no it's it, it, a synthetic it's, yeah, yeah yeah and so but what you know I, I'm, I'm curious of the downstream effects of it over time but it, the, the fact that it helps I mean it's helping you know soldiers with PTSD yeah and people who have had severe PS, PTSD I know for you I have another client who did it that it really helps so um yeah it's amazing how many sessions did you do I did two um, okay. very, very intense sessions. Yeah. And to be honest, I was honest, I was more interested in doing psilocybin, but it's not, it wasn't legal. It's much harder to find a legal way to be psilocybin. Mm-hmm. I was actually kind of turned off by ketamine because it, it's a, because it's a chemical substance. Yeah. Um, but a therapist friend of mine actually suggested it. She's like, have you considered it? And I was like, I don't know. It sounds weird. She's like, it's having like really good results with a lot of people. You might consider it just because it's a lot easier to find access to it because it's legal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of why I went that route. I love um, that. But yeah, it was intense. It was scary. It was painful. It was hard. It wasn't fun, <laughs> but it was life changing for sure. That's awesome. That's I love that so much. Good for you. Um, so I want to make sure that we talk about anything else that that maybe that you need to talk about for and and for sure how people find you, all of those things. But I want to make sure that that you have. You know, we've hit on everything that you want to hit on. If there's anything important that you want to want to say, then jump on in. So we don't have much longer <laughs> left. It goes so fast. Yeah. Um, I think you know where I'm really direct or focused on nowadays is is helping busy women, um, people that feel like their life might be a little bit chaotic. They're having struggle losing the weight that they want to lose. They lose. They have emotional eating. They're not exercising what they want to be. Like I want women to be strong. Like yeah. you made the comment about my arms and my and my abs. Like I don't get that naturally. Like I work for that the body that I have, mm-hmm. um, and I am proud of it now. But I want other women to be proud of their bodies too, and to to enjoy being strong because it's yeah. it's fun. Um, so that's a huge part of what I want to help with women. So my my company's called Primal Link. Um, I launched a program recently called Primal Queens. And the idea behind it really is just helping to build bold, beautiful women who want to be powerful, who want to have strong voices, who want to be confident and disciplined and treat their bodies with respect. Um, and just trying to, you know, grow this stronger group of women out there and help support them. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And there's something about being strong and gaining strength that is so, it's, it, it gives so much to the psyche, so much to the ego, not in, not in a bad way, right? I'm not talking about ego in a bad way, but it, it, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're strong on the outside, you tend to start to be stronger on the inside, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you want to stand up and you want to stand strong and you want to, it just pushes you to want to continue to grow um, and maybe do the things that are scary, right? Because a lot of things mm-hmm. are scary when you step outside your box. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you just do it anyway. Yeah, there's this Alex Ramosi quote that I absolutely love, which is basically like, you don't build confidence by shouting affirmations at the mirror, but rather by building an undeniable stack of evidence that you are who you say you are, outwork your self-doubt. And I love it because it's like, you, you don't build confidence by just 
saying things and pretending things. You build confidence by going and doing the thing that scares you and proving to yourself that you can do it and then repeating that. And the more you do that, the more you truly build confidence. And so, it, like you said, like building a strong body, you start to believe you are strong because you have evidence. You look and you see the muscle yeah. and you're like, I am strong. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happens with mental skills too. Like the more that you go have the difficult conversations or challenge the thoughts that come up in your head that are not helpful thoughts, that aren't healthy thoughts, that are self-sabotaging thoughts, those are the things that actually truly make you strong and confident. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, and so to find you, so your Instagram, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, and it's all Primal, yes? Um, on Instagram, it's Hallie Primal Link Coach with underscores okay. between them. Um, I'm just Hallie Stocks on Facebook. I do have a, a Facebook page as well that's Primal Link Health too. Okay, good. So you have a business um, page, you have your personal page. Where do you, yes. where do you, um, where do you prefer people to find you? Um, any, my website as well. You can find me there. Um, you can book free appointments with me always there. I always do a free consultation to make sure it's a good fit. I don't want to take on anyone that I don't think I can help. Yeah. Um, so you can always find me there as well. And that's just primallinkcoach.com. Awesome. Wow. Well, thank you so much for, um, for your openness to, to share your story, to be a part of this. Um, you know, I always, you know, my prayer with this show is that people we're able to reach people who you know even if it's just right it's that typical even if it's just one person but it's true who who may be dealing with what you dealt with or whatever it is that you're saying reaches them deep and they have it, it gives hope really right that's what that's what we want we want to give hope and i i want people to understand that there's more out there than than sometimes we know being in this position um that i'm in whether it's you know with the with the business my business or with this show and the people who i've met that do some of the craziest coolest things that i had no idea existed um that's that's the stuff that needs to get out into the world or the people who are doing the cool crazy things that are making a big impact but it's just mm -hmm. not the conventional right not not everybody knows mm -hmm. about it and so um, I think it's really beautiful and it's really special. And so thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Nikki. Yeah. It's great talking with you. Yep, you too. Appreciate you so much. Um, so we are, of course, Taste Life Nutrition Radio, streaming live on KUHSDenver.com. Next week is Thanksgiving. So uh, we will, well, I don't know if it'll be a replay or if Henry will be, I'm not really sure but I won't be here. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll be in Kansas hanging out with family uh, and friends and just uh, chilling out a little bit. But um, you can always find me at tastelifenutrition.com, tastelifenutrition on all of the social media sites. Uh, and of course, there's Soulful Conception, uh, my program that is all based around preconception planning for women and their spouses, so I know I speak mostly to women with this stuff, but it is for their spouses as well um, because they are very important in the conception process. Um, so feel free to reach out if you have questions about that, uh, if you have questions about any kind of genetic testing or any other testing, or if you just need to chat a little bit, uh, you can fill out uh, the free assessment on the website and I'll reach out to you and we'll, we'll just figure out what it is that we can do to help you help you move forward with whatever's going on. So um, thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful, beautiful, amazing Thanksgiving. 
Um, but good to see all of you. Thanks for joining uh, out there in the world. Uh, Amber, I'll call you later, my love. We'll see y'all later on. Thanks, bye. Give me one second.